0: Welcome back to another episode of Agile Way podcast where we explore challenges organizations face on their agile journey. How to become great scrum master? How to change your leadership style? Or how to embrace agility at the organization level? I'm Suzy Shakhova, Agile coach. Certified Scrum Trainer and author of the Great Scrum Masterbook and Agile Book, and I am your host for this podcast. I'm passionate about business agility, organizational culture and Agile leadership and that was the reason why I decided to start this podcast. To share with you my experiences and stories from my Agile journey. So hello, everyone, I have Jim York here, a dear friend from the Business Agility uh, group of people, and uh, Jim, I have a question for you today, what are you currently passionate about in Agile Space?
1: Well, Susie, first, I just want to say it's great talking with you, Um, and uh, I'm so honored to be included on your podcast. Um, What am I excited about these days? Uh, Teams. I am just really excited about teams and teamwork.
0: So tell me something about the teams.
1: Well, teams are much bigger than we think they are. Uh, We look at a Scrum team as described in the framework of Scrum. And we often see this 10 or fewer people on a team. And that's never been my experience, Susie. It's never been my experience. The team is much, much larger. So I'm fascinated with the boundaries of how big the team in truth is, the real team.
0: So if you say team, how do you know it's a team? How do you distinguish it from a group of individuals?
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question. In in this context, I'm thinking of a team as a group of people who come together with a shared purpose and they act upon that purpose. And so the the, the glue or the thing that holds the team together is this idea of having a shared purpose. And you might be full-time on the team. You might be part-time on the team. You might might be full-time for a long period of time. You might be full-time for a very short period of time. Uh, As long as the purpose of the team exists, I see people coming and going and extending far beyond what we typically think of in Agile as uh, this group of people that are intensely collaborative, uh, often sitting in the same room or the same virtual space these days, Uh, I I see these interactions uh, being situational and it is all arising from purpose. And what's, what's the next thing for the team to focus on? Uh, Who we have on the team in the moment is who's needed for that particular next step. And so sometimes that, that evolves over time. And so I think of this thing, I guess, more holistically thinking the, not even the product life cycle. I'm thinking more of as long as a customer need exists and we're trying to fulfill that need in some way and we have a shared purpose towards filling that need that we continue to grow and learn and evolve as a team to satisfy that.
0: So what's the most difficult on uh, building such teams?
1: Oh gosh, uh, I, I'm thinking mostly organizational support. <laughs> I'm <laughs> a little radical, perhaps, in my thinking on this, but I don't think that teams work for organizations. I think that, that organizations work for teams. It doesn't, doesn't play out that way in reality a lot, but the, the most challenging thing I find is, is getting the right people to the right place at the right time to do the right thing. And I think people will naturally gravitate towards that. Uh, they, they like to do things that they're passionate about that energize and that motivate them, that give them satisfaction. Sometimes uh, organizations, I think, get in the way of that. And so I like to flip the paradigm and instead of organizations dictating to teams who's on it and how they do their work, that we should look at the target customer, what is the need we want to address as an organization, establish a team purpose around that and let the team members uh, self-organize onto the team and off of the team. And so the biggest challenge I find is that simply organizations um, sometimes struggle with that flow of people on and off so that they can arrive at the right time to do the right thing and uh, continue a flow of value to to the customers. Uh, That takes a big shift in thinking about how organizations are designed and uh, how how they operate. So I, I put the customer at the top of the hierarchy and that customer need is the thing that we're here to address. And the team is immediately below that, uh, serving that need. And then the organization is is below that, providing the support to the team so they can be the team they need to be.
0: And you speak about like, you don't have to be permanent. You can be part-time on a team, but then if you are part-time on a team, you have some sort of a conflict of interest because assuming yeah, you're a part of different, various different teams, and sooner or later they will clash. So, um, what makes you still being part of so many teams? Like, how do you handle the priorities? Maybe is my question, or something around. This well, thing. I
1: that, that I, that's that is the question I think Susie is is how do you ensure or enable the flow so that people are at the right place at the right time, and. So part of this is self-organization, having the individual recognize that, hey, I'm needed, or the team uh, that you have assembled at in the moment recognizing they have some sort of gap. And so they reach out and they try to pull someone in to fill that gap and what's needed for them to be the team uh, that is the right team at that moment to do what's necessary. Um, so we're, that's that's part of what we need to look at all the time is, is, Who's where? Who's needed so that people can move to the right place? And I'm not talking about a puppet master who's moving all the people around. I, I'm much more a, fa- a fan of the self-organization. So when we look at the situation that you describe, Susie, it's inevitable; it will happen. Uh, that that in the moment we have a need, and that person, if they're part time, they're they're not available because there's a conflict. Somebody else needs them at the same time. The agility that i'm looking for in the team is to be able to recognize that in the moment and then remediate that as quickly as possible how that's done you know that's the question that's the question that's the challenge right you know so instead of having some puppet master whose job it is to figure this out i turn to the team and say it's it's your responsibility to figure this out and to to uh Basically, it's it's Wayne Gretzky had this fa- famous uh, quote, you, you don't go to where the puck is, you go to where the puck is going to be. So it's having the team able to, most of the time, and inevitably there'll be times when they fall short, but most of the time be able to, to sense where where what is the next thing that needs to be done and to arrange themselves in such a way that they are there in the moment that the work is needed. Uh, so... Does this mean that uh, you know that that we can be part time? Uh, maybe, maybe not. So it's 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 a matter of looking at the situation and acting appropriately to that situation. I don't want to come out and say, "Oh, you should all all be full time all the time." There might be instances in which it is possible for someone to be part time. So I don't think there's a you know a, a just a pat answer here. Where it's always always full time. Um, if you are full time, it probably reduces significantly the possibility that uh, you're going to run into this conflict. But inevitably, people they go on vacations. Um, sometimes they're sick. Sometimes they're just having a bad day. What what is what is the team going to do? You know, if if someone on the team is simply having a bad day, and we need their their help and their support, I think that's the measure of agility is is can we sense and respond appropriately to these circumstances that we can't we can't predict accurately what's going to be needed when? so it's it's a matter of of how quickly do we sense that there is a problem that we address that, get get people in place, uh, ideally by them self-organizing into place again instead of having somebody direct that, and uh, preserve the flow that's that's what i'm watching is the flow of value to customers anything that's getting in the way of the flow of value um whether it's dependencies on others that are outside of what we think of as being the team i i think of those sometimes third parties sometimes it's a vendor sometimes it's another internal group in the organization like a shared service i consider all of those part of the team uh you know there's just you're simply outsourcing it from what we often think of as being the a team uh, those 10 or fewer people that we hear about on agile teams I think of those as being maybe core team members, core team members they're the ones that show up every day and then all these other team members I think of as being peripheral team members. they're all team members and all in my mind they're all equal. you know there's no hierarchy there's no precedence of one group is more important than another group they're all important they're all needed. Uh, so we look at what the job is to be done, what what is the work in front of us, and who our team is in the moment is who's necessary to get that get that job done. And that will evolve. That will change over time as the priorities change and new work emerges. So we always have to be responsive to w- what it is that's necessary um, from a from a people perspective uh, in order to have the, the right people in place in the moment that we need them.
0: So ultimately, the entire organization is one team uh, at the end of the day, right? Oh,
1: oh, it gets scary here, Zuzi, it does. Because if you think about it, where where, where do you stop? <laughs> you know, where do you stop with this? So I think about the framework, the job, jobs to be done framework. So if you look at your customer they've got a job to be done. And often the product that a team creates is just filling in one little piece of that overall job to be done. So you could set boundaries around the team necessary to, to to create that one piece that fits into the context of that customer's job to be done. But why stop there? Why not take a look at that overall job that the customer has to do and think about all the other pieces and parts that are going on that are not what you're currently focusing on? And if you step back and look at it more holistically, and you're thinking, well, my customer has a need here. It's is the need just this little bit that we provide, or is the need the greater thing that they're trying to accomplish? And so, if we think about it just being the the, the, the niche that we fulfill in that overall job to be done, um, we we risk being disintermediated. That somebody else will come along and disrupt the the overall. Uh, set of activities that are necessary for that customer to accomplish that job to be done and all of a sudden we may be irrelevant you know our little piece is no longer needed it's 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 obsolete so i like to step back and think of the team's purpose in helping that customer accomplish that job to be done and the current thing that we're doing for them that that that's the current instantiation of our product um, but I'd rather abstract the idea of the team's purpose to being helping the customer address their need and creating value for the customer in addressing that need. Products come and go. And so I wouldn't want to hold too dearly to the current instantiation of the product. It's likely to become obsolete. Uh, so I want to have that customer need drive purpose and the team formation be also informed by that purpose. And the team that we need today is the team that's you know going to address what's what's immediately in front of us, what, what it is that we're currently working on to address that customer's need.
0: Now, um, I'm still keep thinking that it's very difficult for uh, most of the corporations nowadays, I would say, maybe I'm wrong, but for most of the corporations to switch into that level of uh, higher self-management and self-organization and let the teams Sort of emerge and disappear and be very dynamic. So, can you give us some example of an organization who got to that stage and what did they have as a prerequisite or uh, what makes them different to the other organizations? What's the secret? I think
1: it's I think it's really rare to see like a, an enterprise wide transformation that makes that kind of shift. Um, in fact, I can't think of one that I've witnessed where it's been a transformation for the entire enterprise. What I see are pockets of opportunity, and so for a particular initiative, it's got great importance, great urgency, and the organization, because of that, uh, waives all of their standard way of doing things, so that they they give the team the people that they think it's going to need, and often full-time, Uh, They give them all the equipment they need, all the facilities, access to customer domain expertise. They set them up for success. Uh, Sometimes they call this a pilot. (laughs) You know, it's like, we're going to do an experiment. We're going to try something a little different. and uh, Or it's it's just something that's really urgent. And that gets you uh, uh, just an exemption uh, from having to follow standard practice in the organization. And since they're doing everything to set the team up for success, it's... Almost inevitable that they will will be successful. Um, it's when we try to scale that, and and we try to ex- take that and apply it across all the things that we do in the organization that we run into run into problems. So I think this is really driven by uh, opportunity within organizations, and sometimes you can use that as a springboard to start other initiatives using the same type of approach in the organization. Uh, thus far i've always found a limiting factor um that limiting factor could be a number of different things but there's a certain point at which the organization tends to um it's like we've awakened the corporate antibodies (laughs) you know it's like we're a foreign uh disease that's come into the organization doing something different from what it is that the organization is normally doing it, it's uh, kind of sad to call it a disease because hopefully it's a good thing that we're creating value for the customers. But sometimes the organizations see it as a threat, and so it the, the organizational antibodies come out and and do everything to remove remove the threat and bring things back to the, the to the status quo. Um, so it's it's a huge challenge, Uzi, and I I haven't solved it. I don't know anybody who has solved it. Um, it's 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 what gets me up every day is is to work with organizations to try to figure out how we can make progress and learn perhaps at some point uh, to overcome the resistance in the organization against trying it in a more holistic, holistic fashion. Uh, but I think it does come back to boundaries. It's like if you can establish boundaries around a particular initiative, uh, then we can drive success within that set of boundaries. And over time, perhaps we can push the boundaries out and affect, you know, a larger, larger portion of the organization. And maybe at some point, a larger portion of society, um, that it's not just within an organization, but it becomes a a standard way of of doing work, uh, thinking about things more holistically.
0: It requires a high level of trust, transparency, and I guess the purpose driven kind of thing. So it's not get lost into yeah, the
1: transparency is really important. I'm glad you brought that up, Susie, because you, when you're looking at the, 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 who, who's on the team, who, who you need to have on the team, it's to preserve that flow of value to the customers. And if you don't have transparency across the entire system that, that in which that flow occurs, you, you, if you don't have transparency or visibility into that, you can't tell where we, we have a problem. So if we can't sense, how can we appropriately respond? So I think that I think you've hit on a really important point here is, is that being able to see the system and, and see it real time. And that does take a lot of trust. Uh, there's a, a lot of things that might be problematic along that flow and uh, being aware of that, you can potentially address it, but being aware of it could also be painful. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, I thought this was, I, I built this thing and it was beautiful. And uh, now I'm realizing there, there's a there's a problem. It needs to be it needs to be adapted. But again, that's what agility is about. It's it's making the appropriate adaptation.
0: True, true. So you're in agile space for a long time. So if you look back into your own journey, what was your biggest learning?
1: Oh gosh, there were so many along the way. Um, you know, one one that really struck me early on. I was I, I started in the trenches building things, Uzi. I, I I did everything from requirements gathering and analysis and design. I built software. I built hardware. Um, I did the t- testing. I did the deployment. I did the support and maintenance. Everything that you possibly think of that that uh, you, you might do to build, maintain, and sustain a, a product. And um, I, I confess, when I started, I was a team of one. Um, <laughs> I was forced to. I had to. And I started. I started recruiting other people to help me, and that was wonderful. Um, it took a lot of trust, as you said, because uh, I, I always took a great pride in in the quality of the work that I was doing, and um, I had some wonderful people that that uh, joined me and uh, helped me build out you know my my first team. I, you know, I leveraged that and started helping um, you know build other teams. But I got to this point where I I wasn't sure whether I wanted to stay in the technical trenches, or whether I wanted to step out of the technical trenches and look at things more uh, from a systems perspective and, and the whole picture, as opposed to just the nuts and bolts of how to build things. But I was given an opportunity, uh challenge. Uh, none of my colleagues wanted to take on this particular initiative. A uh, customer had been working on a product for five years. They were going to deploy it. They had 45 days until the go live date. And uh, what my colleagues had discovered was that that there was no way that they were going to hit the 45 day uh, go live date. And uh, everybody was walking away from it. And I was really puzzled. And I I was like, well, I'll go in and take a look. And I walked in and realized that this enterprise wide system, 10 departments, uh, we were supposed to do uh, begin user acceptance testing. uh, This big waterfall initiative. And uh, they had not written a single line of working code. In five years. (laughs) I don't know what they've been doing, but they had, they, did, they weren't writing code. And all of a sudden, I was just stuck, Zuzi. I didn't know what to do. I, I, I always thought that I was the one who could come in and solve things by you know doing the work myself. And and you know, it's just you know fill in a gap here or a gap there and just you know save the day. And this was this was an enterprise-wide system, 10 departments. And I didn't know anything about their business domain. I didn't know any, anything about the technology they were using. I was just dumbfounded. I did not know what to do. And so I just let go. And I turned to the to the heads of each of the 10's departments. We had a quick meeting, put our heads together and said, what do we do? And, you know, they kind of looked at me as like, well, we, you know, you were brought in to fix this. And I was like, I can't fix this. Uh, I said we're we're going to have to fix this, and and it was like a light bulb went off, Zuzi. It was like an epiphany. It was like oh, I can't fix this. I have to, I have to trust others, and their knowledge of how, what to do, what the way to go forward. So what we did in forty five days was we ran forty five sprints. We had one day sprints, and the. We had one person that emerged from one of those departments that took on the role of essentially a product owner. And we had nine other chief stakeholders, business stakeholders from the other nine departments. And every day we got together and looked at the current state. You know, Day one was we have nothing. <laughs> so what's the most important thing that we should work on? We identified something together. Uh, we worked with the developers to help them understand what this little incremental thing was that we wanted and they did it and so then the next day we would look at the current state of the system and we go what next and over 45 days we built a rudimentary uh end-to-end transactional system that would allow them to to build the basically the core uh features that were needed for them to go live and declare success and then they would incrementally build on it from that day forward but that was that was the I guess the biggest learning I had, Zuzi, was uh, just literally being put in a situation where I was completely overwhelmed. Everything that I knew that had made me successful in the past did not apply. And I had to completely let go and have others provide the guidance and the direction in terms of how it was going to be fixed. I shifted purely to a coaching role in that. In that engagement, uh, and I've never looked back. <laughs> I've never looked back. I, I just like that. That just was so much more powerful, so much more effective to trust and and get the the right people engaged to focus on what really matters most and get the job done. And that was, again, that was just amazing to me like the scales fell from my eyes I, you know i it, it wasn't wasn't me coming in charging in on the you know on the white steed and solving the day it was i can't do anything here i'm completely powerless
0: well that's a really nice story thank you for sharing i have my last question here So, um, you know, we're looking back to your experience now, let's have a look back to the whole Agile movement, the whole journey 20 years from now, you know, Agile Manifesto-ish, so more than 20 now. But what do you think is the future of Agile 20 years from now ahead? Where are we going to be?
1: Well, I'm hoping the future of Agile is actually its past. You know, the whole Agile movement was inspired by many other, uh, things, you know, lean thinking was a huge influence on the Agile movement, um, technical practices, technical excellence, I think, uh, is, is greatly inspired, um, the Agile movement, you know, I think what's old will become new again. And, uh. My, let, me, let me just share, my, my, first, my first computer science class in, in college, this was uh, 1982, I was sitting there learning Fortran and COBOL, and on the very first day, the professor had us write a test. And everyone in the class was was. Well, when do we get to write the code that's going to you know do the feature? And he says we start with the test. And I thought that's ingenious. It's like if 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 you did that in a in a normal class, not a computer science class, they would call that cheating. But here in this computer science class, they were like, well, we're going to tell you what's on the test first. So we're going to start with the test, and and then when you're going to write the code, you're going to write the code to pass the test you're going to design the code to pass the test. And it wasn't until the late 90s that I started hearing about test driven development. And when people started talking to me about it, I was like, "Yes. How do you write code?" <laughs> <laughs> and my professor, he he had been taught computer science uh in the late 1940s. And that was how he was taught, you write code. And so I think a lot of the things that, that we learned from and created the Agile movement, now that we're in the midst of the adoption of Agile, I think we're probably in the late adopters uh, easily at this point. Um, I think in our journey of adopting Agile, we, we've sometimes lost sight of some of those early earlier inspirations for the movement and a lot of that has come together i think in a in a larger collection of things that we recognize as the agile movement and and in 20 years i'm hoping that it, it we kind of go back to the roots of this and that that we remember all of that and we we don't just practice agile in a a way like we're following a cookbook that that we've we've learned how to integrate those ideas and, and what is we're doing comes naturally and we're really fulfilling the underlying intent of agile, not not just doing mindless practices. Um, so that, that's my hope for for the future of agile is that we kind of come full circle. And we start seeing the whole system. This kind of comes back to the idea of the team and the team being this thing that exists through time and it has a purpose. But really looking at the whole system, Agile's not just for the developers. I'm I'm hoping we're well past, you know, thinking that Agile's just for coders. Um, That we we embrace the business and get them into the process. All these things are deeply ingrained in the Agile manifesto. It's just somehow it seems like we've, we've, not stayed connected to that as well as we should have. So I'm I'm hoping we come back to it. I'm hoping we come back to it. I see a lot of people abandoning agile and saying, "Oh, it's so yesterday. It's like it never really worked." It's like, "Well, did you really try it? You know, did you, did you actually take a look at what it was and uh, you know, before you say, you know, say it's so yesterday, we're so over that. Take a look again and and see if you were actually practicing in a way that was consistent with the roots of agile. So that's what my my hope is, is that in 20 years, we'll be more in tune with the spirit of Agile.
0: And I really like it. That would be nice. And I think we need more to get back to the roots and sort of reconnect with that deep understanding of what it is and get away from just those practices and frameworks as it turns out to be lately, but it will all come. So thank you very much. (laughs) It was my pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you, Zuzi. It was my pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Agile Wave podcast hosted by Zuzi Shekhova, author of the great Scrum Master book and Agile Leader book. If you love listening to this podcast, please leave us a review. If there is any topic you're particularly interested in and would like to hear another episode on it, let me know. For more information about me and my agile classes, visit our website socoba.com s o c o b a.com. Thank you for listening.